0: 63% of women who remarried are remarrying into families with stepchildren and looking at this new dynamic of a family, uh, a blended family, which is an amazing family and has more love, but there can be some wrinkles, particularly when it comes around money. Welcome to the Smart Money
1: Mama Show, where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life. Now let's talk money mamas. Hey there, I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan, and Mamas, today on the show, we're talking to Stacy Francis, president and CEO of Francis Financial. Stacy is joining us today to talk about a topic that is impacting more and more people every year, how to manage money as a blended family. As a certified financial planner and certified divorce financial analyst with over 20 years of experience and host of the Financially Ever After podcast, Stacey has a lot of experience helping blended families navigate important money decisions. And she's also seen what can happen when couples don't get on the same page. In this episode, Stacy is going to share with us what conversations mamas and blended families need to be having with their spouses, how to plan for your financial future, and how you can blend traditions and beliefs to create a beautiful, thriving marriage and family. As always, stick around until the end of the show to hear my top three takeaways from this episode. Or you can head over to smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Stacey for the complete show notes and to download your free family money values worksheet. Are you ready, mamas? Let's get started. Hey, Stacy, how are you? I'm doing good, Chelsea. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here and to talk about a topic that I think is more and more common for families, right? So we're going to talk about blended family finances. And I don't know if this is exactly right, but the U.S. Census Bureau estimates that over 50% of U.S. families are remarried or recoupled.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, the numbers are absolutely staggering. Essentially, 40% of all new marriages, at least one person was previously married. As we know, you and I are both moms along with that, you know, comes kids and comes families. And particularly for women, you know, 63% of women who remarried are remarrying into families with stepchildren and looking at this new dynamic of a family, uh, a blended family, which is an amazing family and has more love, but there can be some wrinkles, uh, particularly when it comes around money.
1: Let's talk about that for a second. How does financial planning look different for these blended families, right? You've definitely got more adults involved. There's got to be some additional layers.
0: Yeah. So you really are taking two separate people who have different or possibly the same, but typically we see different financial systems, different philosophies around money, the way they talk to their children or don't talk to their children about money can be different, how they spend on their children can be very different and you're meshing them together and then you're throwing in, you know, a couple kids in the mix to just make it a little easier. So it's a mishmash and the biggest important thing that couples need to know as they're starting to go down the aisle and before and also once they do get married afterwards, is to have that open communication about money. Because if you think about it, especially if it's a second marriage, you're pretty well situated in your belief system. And how you deal with money by then. It's not like we're teenagers and we're still evolving and learning how we deal with money. By the time you're looking at a second marriage, you've got your system and it may not be a system that works for your spouse. And there's
1: also got to be emotional stuff there too, right? If your money relationship with your ex was not what you wanted
0: it to be, making a new relationship has to be harder, right? It is, Chelsea. And the number one reason couples end up getting a divorce is because of money and money arguments. So for a lot of couples that have gotten a divorce and are coming into another marriage, for the majority of them, vast majority, things were not going well when it came to money. And it could be that there wasn't transparency. It could be that they were not part of the financial You know, decision making, it could be that they were, but many times, again, resulting in divorce, there's been some type of lack of trust or some type of breakdown and miscommunication between the couple. And that can scar you. It can really scar you. And so here you go, you're coming into a second marriage with trust issues, you know, and some of those trust issues might even be around money.
1: And so if let's say we're pre-marriage, right? We're about to get married, our second marriage or our spouse's second marriage. What are some conversations that we can have before we walk down the aisle to make sure we're building the foundation that we need?
0: Yes. And something that you should definitely do is essentially get financially naked. And (laughs) I know that you're getting naked probably other ways. So you might as well get financially (laughs) naked too. You know, it it shocks me the number of people who walk down the aisle that don't know what's in their spouse's 401k. They don't know whether or not they have credit card debt. They don't know, you know, how much their really monthly spend is. And that's not something you want to ask after. You know, It's really important to make sure that you guys understand where each person is coming from, what their financial situation is, what they're bringing to the marriage or not bringing to the marriage. And once you know what you have really important to understand what's important to them. You know, maybe they are hell-bent on their kids putting themselves through college and not giving them any type of support because that's what, that's what he did, and it made him the man that he is. And you may have a very different view. You know, maybe your parents were able to help you through the college of your choice. And typically, we have different views about really important things. And it doesn't mean that one person is wrong or one person's right. But you got to talk through it. And you got to figure out what's that compromise that's going to work for the kids. And it could be that you have children that you're bringing to the marriage, and he does too. So you do want to make sure that you're discussing these things. Because otherwise, you could have some real challenges down the road.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I'm not going to remember the stat exactly off my head. But there's a shocking number of couples that can't name their spouse's salary within like $15,000, like a very wide margin, even when they've been married for a long time. So having those conversations beforehand is obviously easier than 10 years into marriage being like, so are we prepared for retirement or we're just winging it?
0: (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting when we interviewed 150 women who had gone through the divorce process and we asked them essentially, why'd you get divorced? And not all of them, but 70% cited money issues as one of those contributing factors. And it was interesting, the number of women who felt much more financially secure after they got a divorce. And Chelsea, it, it kind of doesn't make sense because you've, you're you going from a household where your expenses are, you know, as a unit, now you're doubling those expenses, often the income is less, assets in many cases have been halved, but yet women still felt more confident in their financial situation. And when we unpack that, we really got down to why is it? It's because she felt like she finally had control. Mm-hmm. She finally had control. She had a say she was responsible for her finances. And while that might be very scary and overwhelming, she at least knew that she had control over her destiny, and some of these women felt that they didn't. And they felt vulnerable, scared, and felt unsafe financially because they either didn't know about the finances, weren't involved, or they felt like their spouse had spending behavior that could hurt them financially long-term.
1: And that begs a question. Are you seeing more women entering second marriages that are looking for prenuptial agreements or to keep their own finances? Do those couples manage money differently than a lot of people that are in their first marriage?
0: Yes. You know, prenuptial agreements are definitely more important for blended families. And it's it's to protect yourself. It's to also protect your children. And you really want to make sure that if you know, God forbid this marriage doesn't turn out to be death to us part, that you're going to be protected. But one of the challenges I see, and I see this more so in the younger marriages, I see women waiving spousal maintenance, aka alimony. I get it. I'm a working woman myself. I want to be responsible for myself. I don't want to have to depend on a man. But The thing that often will happen is that she'll end up, for whatever reason, staying home and having her career be in the house. And we know that while that is, in at least my opinion, for me, it's a harder career than the career I have. I love my children, but I feel like staying home with them would actually be a whole lot harder than being a financial advisor. You know, the challenge is, is you're just not financially rewarded for that. And if you find yourself, God forbid, getting a divorce five or six years down the line or you know even 20 years down the line and you haven't kept your career up and you need to go back into the workforce, you're going to be starting off at maybe a $50,000 or $60,000 salary if you're lucky. And you're going to desperately need spousal support. So the prenup is meant to protect. And that's why I believe that prenups start with a P. Prenup, protect. It's not about waiving your rights and making sure that you're thinking ahead to your future self and knowing and thinking, you know, what would we need to do to protect her? And I would definitely say, if you think that there might even be an inkling of a chance of you staying home to take care of kids while your husband or your spouse goes out there and is bringing in more of the breadwinner, then you need to have clauses about how you can have time to get back on your feet, maybe have additional benefits for schooling, whatever that it might be, because a marriage, yes, it's about love. but if you look up in Webster Dictionary, one of the top definitions is economic union. It's one of the top definitions mm-hmm. and it is, and so you have to understand that if that economic union stops. You need to make sure that you're protected and and your kids because your kids will suffer. Your kids will suffer, too. Absolutely. And there's actually I'm not sure if you're
1: familiar. There's the book Your Turn by Jen Gefsky. And she talks about the fact that there's over 3.6 million women in the U.S. on the career sidelines and over 90 percent of them want to go back to work. But will either face a longer time to get back in or a pay cut or they'll just never go back because it'll be too hard. So even if we're convinced right now, like, oh, we'll take a break, but it'll be okay. I agree. You totally want to be protected. But there is this bias, right, against prenuptial agreements as a whole that we're not trusting our spouse, that we're betting against our marriage. So how do we start this conversation with our potential second spouse or even our first spouse if if we're making these decisions?
0: Yes. I think something that's important to know, so there are prenups that's what you would do before you walk down the aisle. But there's also something called a postnup. And so that's after you've walked down the aisle. Prenups don't, and postnups don't have to be unromantic. They don't. You know, ultimately what you're trying to do is to make sure that you're both cared for and two people who care for each other, you know, they shouldn't in any way not want to do this. Now, that being said, there are two things to think about. The first thing is that whatever lawyer that you're working with on a prenup they should have a pretty good bedside manner because literally you can have someone who is going to be really difficult and create conflict between the two of you and that's the last thing you want to do you want someone that you can work with that's realizes you're in love and wants this to be something that only helps your marriage not not hurts it but the second thing is is that if a prenup is draconian and is significantly harming one person, it tells you a lot about the spouse you're going to get married to.
1: Which is a hard realization to have. <laughs> mm-hmm. And
0: that's why I'm speaking so slowly because it's it's a really hard realization to have. And I've spoken with women who have showed me their prenup and I've looked at it and just shocked that they signed it. And them looking back realize they're like I should have known I should have known I should have known because he was trying to be so controlling he was being so stingy with if we did get a divorce and so a prenup can tell you a lot about your spouse too and as hard as it is sometimes not walking down the aisle is the right decision as well and I will tell you there are many people who happily live in sin. And I keep on, you know, encouraging my dad to do this, but he believes in getting married. I'm like, okay, dad, you can get married, but (laughs) this is, you know, this is the third time. Okay, dad. But, you know, for some people, they really have found it to be better of just considering themselves two separate economic units who love each other more than anything and want to make their work, you know, their life work together too.
1: That makes sense. I always like the analogy of like they're the conversation line of if we're having issues, do you want me to stay married to you because I have to because I cannot afford to live, or do you want me to be staying here because I love you and it's a choice and that's if I'm here, it's because I want to be here. Sometimes with those like really stringent prenups or postnups, are like you're just locking me in. You feel like you're being locked in, um, which yeah. is a scary thing. Yeah. And then with blended families, there's this added question about kids, right? So whether you have prior kids or you both have prior kids, or you're also considering the added complication of like, if you choose to have children together afterwards and whether you're going to treat these sets of kids differently. And I know this isn't prenup related necessarily, but how do we have those conversations about, are we going to treat all the kids the same? Are we going to do things on our own terms? How does that work?
0: So some people may not agree with me. I, I'm just going to give the answer. Do we treat all the kids the same? The answer is, my God, yes, you do. You treat all the kids the same, whether it's her kids or my kids or adopted kids or you know kids born from the new couple. You treat everyone the same. And it could be that all of a sudden, you know, instead of 10 birthday presents that your kids are used to, they now are getting five. And his kids, who are used to getting three presents, are now getting five. But there has to be a similar situation. Because I know that, for example, I grew up in a family where Christmas was celebrated to the point where we had three Christmas trees. We had 20 to 30 gifts. I mean, it was just gigantic. And my husband's family is British, grew up in World War II and you know we would have oranges and apples in our stockings which was great but very different and so he had a different background just as lovely but very different and you got to merge that so having that very conscious decision about okay how, how are we going to treat the holidays how are we going to treat the you know birthdays what traditions do you want to bring what traditions do we want to bring what are new traditions um, and then of course You know things that cost money. So, are we doing private school for all of them, or maybe we do private school for one because they have special needs? But there better darn well be a good reason for why that child gets private school and not the others. What after-school activities, uh, summer camp? Are we willing to put all of the kids through college, or are we willing to give the first two years, or you know, just living expenses? but making it really clear about those guidelines, having them out and open for the children to know too, and most importantly, sticking to it. And that's the hardest part, sticking to it. Because if you're the person who's coming into the marriage who maybe in the past has had a bigger income and does now, you're going to be more likely to go back to those old spending patterns. And while it might feel good and Nice to indulge your kids. You can't do that unless you do that for all of them.
1: College is the big one here, right? Because then we're also bringing in, in private school too, your exes, right? And the kids' other parent. If, like, you as a new family unit decide we're going to pay 50% of the college for all the kids, and then the other spouse doesn't want to do that or they have a different agreement,
0: those conversations have to get really hard. (laughs) Do you have any tips? They do. You know, you could have a case where their oldest, the ex spouse uh, in the agreement, is not required to cover college or doesn't have the um, ability to do so. And so they are looking at a CUNY school. And then you've got, you know, this other kid where, you know, dad, previous dad's willing to pay 50% and you're going to pay 50% so they can go to, you know, a private college school, you know, Cambridge, Oxford. Harvard, where Boston College, wherever you want, that's not really going to work. That's not going to work for your family. So figuring out how do you make it happen? And maybe you can't afford in that oldest child to be able to cover 100% of their college costs, but you know what? You can help your child get loans and you darn well can help pay those loans off for your child, making sure that you are, of course, putting your retirement first And that is, I think, the most important piece about all of these conversations. Sometimes when we join a blended family, we try to make up for whatever we might feel guilty for. I don't even know what that might be. But one of the ways sometimes we deal with making sure that someone's happy in their new family or the fact that they had to move to a new home because you guys have a different home because of a blended family, sometimes we use our money. We buy things for people. We, you know, give them experiences. And for blended families, we have to be even more careful about planning for retirement because often we're older parents. We're starting a new family when we're a little bit older. So we have that financial piece. And often because we've come from a previous marriage, we're walking away with half the assets. So, half of our retirement, you know, we just got 50% slashed off. And so, you're starting from much lower than where you were before. So, retirement is even more important and making sure that you guys are making good progress towards that because no one's going to give you a loan for retirement, um, but your kids can get loans for college. And, you know, if you do things right and you're able to save the way you want, you can hopefully help them pay them off. That makes sense.
1: Okay. So we have a lot of different things that we should talk about, whether it's before we get married or after we get married in a second marriage. What are some other mistakes that couples make when they're combining two families?
0: You know, it's really important when you're combining two families to get clear about what your income is. And that sounds pretty simple. Like, oh, we'll just look at your tax return or look at your W-2. But for a blended family, it's not as easy as that because you may have someone receiving child support and spousal support from a previous marriage, and that's not going to last forever. So, you know, knowing what that really looks like, they could be receiving income from an employer and then the other spouse might be paying child support and paying spousal support. So it's not as easy as just adding up three numbers and here you go. There's a lot more to it. So getting a clear picture about what's your income this year, how's that going to change? And then on the expense piece, you typically think, well, that's not that difficult. But with a blended family, you have to think a little bit more besides just the black and white, because yes, you have your expenses for all the kids, but You may have additional expenses that aren't coming out of your paycheck and not coming going on your credit card that you have to reimburse your ex for. Maybe you need to reimburse your ex for some of those medical costs or some of those extracurricular activities that don't show up on your visa, but you're still having to pay for. So that's a big wrinkle, definitely, as well. And how those things are going to change when the kids are getting older, so it's really important, really key that you first take, you know. Okay, so let's look at our twelve months spend, but let's look at all those other things, maybe those add-ons that you're having to reimburse your spouse for, and then looking ahead to think about how might these expenses change. And a good one is, I find as kids get older, blessed they get more expensive, and all of a sudden you're talking about orthodontia. You know, all of a sudden you're talking about summer camps, you're talking about maybe tutoring that they need, and I think you and I are in the wrong business. If we went into tutoring, the hourly charge is just, I mean, worth it, but wow. You're also in New York, so it's like everything is wow. Everything is wow in New York City, my word. But you know, having that really clear picture of not only what you're spending today, but in the future, and it's that exact reverse uh, situation that you want to do with your income. What is your income today? Taking in all those factors, but what's it going to be in one year, three years, five years, 10 years down the line when child support and spousal support slowly go away? So there's a little bit more complexity. That's one of the biggest uh, mistakes I see is not getting a real handle. And again, we tend to show people we love them by spending money on them and overspending and then getting ourselves in financial binds. The vast majority of Americans don't have $500 to deal with an emergency. And, you know, think about all the emergencies you can have with kids and with a family things that are completely outside of your control.
1: So one thing is we're talking about this, going through income, going through expenses, that I'm thinking is, statistics show it's more likely that a woman is coming to a blended family marriage without kids and her husband has kids. And that often that ultimately breeds a lot of resentment around what the expenses are, whether he's playing alimony or child support. So for women who are looking to make this decision, right? They're in love with someone, they wanna get married, but he has kids. Are there anything that they should think about or ask themselves? Before they walk down the aisle, or ways to even approach the conversation after marriage of like, hey, I'm starting to have these feelings.
0: What can they do? You know, it's such a big shift to become married, right? From single life to married. That's such a big shift there. But then overnight to become a stepmom and all the different pieces that that brings along with it. Understanding. When it comes to money, what's important at the end of the day to make you feel secure, to make you feel safe, and to allow you to enjoy life the way you want to enjoy it? And for some people, security comes from saving a certain amount each month or having a certain amount in an emergency fund. Security might be how much. You know, you're earning together as a couple. It's very different. And, you know, one of the things you can think about, which really leads to your answer, is just taking a few moments, three or four minutes, and thinking, what's important about money to you? What is important about money to you? And the vast majority of people, when I ask this, the first word is security. But what's interesting, Chelsea, is that. The definition for security for each person is a little different. So what is it for you? And, you know, security, as we know, it's like Maslow hierarchy. It's a necessity. It has to be there. So what is that going to look like so that you know you're secure in this marriage financially? What does that look like? And then the second thing is kind of the what's important about money to you. What does money do for you? So for the vast majority of people, it's not about accumulating more and stacking it up. For most people, money gives them opportunities to have experiences, to be able to do different things with their life or have certain things around them. And there's nothing wrong with that. And it's actually quite healthy. But understand what that means for you, you know, and and for me, I'm a good example where I don't need a lot of jewelry. I don't need, you know, like I go get my hair cut twice a year at a, you know, very inexpensive place in Vermont. And I go to Vermont because it's less expensive and that doesn't matter to me. But I will tell you that I have the most beautiful Nespresso and I probably do not judge me, but I probably have five cups of that a day. And that is my must. And I know it's small, but that's really important. So figure out like what is your must that you need to keep that holds your identity of who you are so that you can go into this relationship, this marriage as yourself and still being able to celebrate and do the things you want to be able to do for yourself. You may not be able to do everything because of money constraints, but that's okay. Just figure out what are the things that are really those must have things that need to be part of your life. And then security obviously
1: brings up the topic of estate planning, which is something we talk about. Oh, that was community. such
0: a good segue.
1: Was oh my gosh, segue. Chelsea.
0: <laughs> that, was like, that was the best segue to estate planning I've ever heard.
1: Excellent. Well, now let's talk about it because we get this question a ton in our audience. Yeah. Of like, how do I plan his kids, my kids? Uh, I know,
0: I know, I know. His kids, your kids, my kids, the dogs, the pets. Pets and estate planning. Oh my gosh. <laughs> This is kind of the hand-in-hand, hand, uh, you walk down the aisle, and the next thing you need to do is do your will. And I I get the same reaction when I say that as when I talk about prenups. They're like, oh, that's so unromantic. That's the last thing I want to do after my honeymoon. But your estate plan is really a truly a love letter to the people you love, your children. And that's what you want to do is you want to make sure that the kids are protected. And so that means that if, God forbid, you pass away, that your kids are going to be taken care of. And so that means that you have to think about your estate planning a little differently. Most likely, you also want to make sure that your spouse is taken care of, too. So what we've seen a lot of our clients do that works very well is to have what's called a trust in place that your money goes to that trust. Your spouse can use it for their lifetime, for health, education, maintenance, and support to use it. And then the beneficiaries, once they pass away, are your children. So that's a great way to go about it. I have seen, though, especially if you're married to a much younger spouse, your children are looking at that person counting the days till they die because they want... (laughs) You know, that sounds it's horrible, but <laughs> it sounds awful, but you know a way that you can get around that too is that you can gift them a certain amount upon your death, and then the balance goes into the trust. What's really important is to have a great trustee. A trustee is a person who is the they're responsible for making sure the money is invested wisely. They also help make decisions about whether or not money is going to be taken out of the trust for your spouse. And so it's really important to put in that trust what are the reasons your spouse can quote-unquote invade the trust and use the money. There has been conflict I've seen as well where the living spouse does not like the stepchildren, and so their goal is to use every single one of these dollars before they pass away so that they receive zero. So if, you know, you don't want that to happen, make sure that you talk to your estate planning attorney to have some types of protections against that. So trusts are an absolute must, especially with young children. You want to make sure that you do that. I know for me, my kids get a graded payout. So the first payout is at 25, second is at age 35, and then the third, hopefully by then they're mature and haven't blown it all, um, is 45. And so you can do that too, and there's a lot of flexibility. So the estate planning is really important, and it's it's really meant to take care of your spouse when you're gone, but also ideally make sure that your assets are gonna go to um, the kids. And you know, also know that like, your spouse may remarry, right? That very much happens. And particularly we see men remarrying much faster and more frequently than women. So if you're a woman listening to this, this is even more important, more important for you. And then there's, you know, the piece about who's going to make healthcare decisions for me. The number of people who their ex-spouse is still their person designated on their healthcare proxy to make medical decisions. I mean, I can only imagine that their ex would say, well, just pull the plug on her. Um, <laughs> you don't really want that. We would hope I, not. We would hope not. <laughs> but right now I'm working on about 40 different divorces doing the actual financial modeling for the divorces and looking at the settlement agreement. And I will tell you in a large number, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure, but you really want to make sure that you have that document updated. It's really easy. You can even do it online, but your state planning attorney will do that for you too. And there's typically not an additional cost. Um, In addition to making healthcare decisions, you want to do what's called a power of attorney who would pay your bills, you know, be able to make financial decisions for you if you couldn't. And so that's typically your spouse that would do that as well. So yeah, and then you get them all in order, and you're you're ready to go, and you don't have to worry about it. You update all those
1: beneficiaries too, right? That happens the same thing on the healthcare proxy is retirement accounts still going to exes and minor children, and we need to clean
0: those up for sure as well. You know, once you've finished your estate planning through your will and, and those documents, you are not done. And you have to update the beneficiaries to maybe name the trust or whatever it is. And that's not only on your retirement accounts, it's on your life insurance as well. Some people have transfer on death, non-retirement accounts, they're called TODs. That even has a beneficiary. So beneficiary anywhere, you just need to update it.
1: Absolutely. And with the divorce your experience going through all these divorce plans right now, your example about going through those divorces and then also in an estate plan, not thinking that your spouse would ever do anything to disinherit your kids. We have seen, I have a close friend whose uh, stepmother tried to completely drain the trust and was like buying homes for her friends under like, because she was also the trustee of the trust. So she had control to do whatever she wanted. So I think that like just assuming in her line of reasoning is she tells people now, like, just tell them, like, well, what if you had a traumatic brain injury? What if you were not yourself? We want to put in the protections. I trust you as you are right now, but I don't know what's gonna happen. And so put the bonds in, make sure you have a good trustee. I think that's really, really good advice. And I can't remember there was a financial advisor at one point that told me you don't know someone until you divorce them when we were talking about prenups and postnups. And- yeah,
0: you know, it's the number of clients I've worked with where she's like, he is not the person I married. Mm-hmm. He is not the person I married. And you know what? To be honest, you know, 20 years ago, someone, I mean, we change, right? 10 years yeah. ago, 30 years ago. And, you know, they, they have a great saying. Lawyers have a great saying, bless, bless lawyers, dry <laughs> sense of humor. And one of the sayings is that for criminal attorneys, they see their clients at their absolute best. And divorce lawyers, they see their clients at the absolute worst. And it's true. I mean... You're going through some of the most traumatic, awful situation you could imagine. No one's really on their best behavior.
1: It's a tough time for everybody. Yeah. So we've had a lot of conversations, hard conversations. The one I want to address real quick uh, is what about with your kids? So we talked about how you might be going from 10 birthday presents to five, or you might be changing how you do Christmas. How do we talk to our kids about why we're making these changes and why we came to these decisions?
0: So... I'm a little bit unconventional with the way that I believe this should be done, and uh, we'll see how it turns out of of what the therapy bills look like in my family. But so my my son is 14, my daughter is uh, now 11, and we are completely upfront with them about the financial situation we are in, not to scare them. Right. So if if we were in a bad financial you know situation, we would of course put it in a certain way. But the kids understand the entire financial picture of where we are at. They understand how much our house costs and the mortgage. They understand how much our monthly expenses are. They know exactly how much I make and they know exactly how much my husband makes and what's left over and how that gets saved. The portion that goes towards their 529 plans for college the portion that goes towards the emergency fund, and the portion that goes towards retirement. And it's much easier to say, no, we cannot get the semi-automatic Nerf gun (laughs) for your birthday because it's blank, blank, blank dollars. FYI, I'm thinking, we're not buying this anyway. We're not getting a semi-automatic Nerf gun. But you know, we're able to have those conversations and say, you know, we can't do that because this is our goal and we need to be able to do it. And it's interesting because our kids will ask us throughout the year, hey, what's the balance on my 529 plan? How close am I? And when they ask how close am I, we've said very clearly, this is the amount we need in your 529 plan. This is where we're at. And so this is the gap of what what we have to do. And so we're really open with our kids and we don't really worry about them telling other people what we make or what our house is worth. I mean, people can go on Zillow to look at your home and what it's valued at anyway. Let's just be honest. They're not going to do that. There's no reason. They don't really think about why would you ever want to tell someone what my mom makes or what my dad makes. But that's been a real game changer for us because all of a sudden kids understand why. They understand why we're not going to Disneyland this year. This is not happening this year because of everything that's going on in the world. And so there's going to be some changes and they get it and they're okay with it. But the most important thing is to let them know you're safe, you're secure, and we will always be here for you. And that, that's really what kids need to know. Any advice for
1: when you're not feeling safe or secure? So for people who are really financially struggling, how to
0: bound it and soften it a little bit so that they're they're aware, but not panic. That's a tough one. And, you know, many people right now are feeling unsafe financially. And it's very hard not to project that and put that onto your children because your kids realize that. There have been times with Michael and I uh, in 2008 where we were not safe. We were not secure, and letting kids know that, you know, mommy and daddy are having to work a little harder right now. We're having to make some changes with our budget, but know that we have our home. We always will be in our home for us. We will always have a home. We will always have food. We will always make sure that you can go to school. Whatever you can tell them to give them that peace of mind is really important. Really important. And and maybe you can't guarantee that we will always stay in our home, but say, but we will always have a home. We will always blah-de-blah. You know, the things you know that you can do. And sometimes it's not about, no, we can't do that. OK, maybe we can't go to Disney World or Disneyland this year, but you know what we can do is mommy found this great, great program where we get to sleep out at night in a tent with wolves at a conservation, you know, organization. Does that sound cool? Yes. So, you know, in FYI, the cost on that is one hundred twenty five dollars a night for six people. So, you know, maybe we can't do this, but we can do this. Give them options. Absolutely.
1: All right, Stacey, what little final advice do you have for parents that are living in this blended family situation that really want to make sure they have a positive money relationship and money plan
0: with their partner? This is probably the most important piece of advice out of everything that we just walked through. Financial date nights, they will save your marriage. (laughs) Financial date nights once a month. And eventually, you know, a few years into your marriage, maybe you can do it, you know, every other month. But carving out 45 minutes to an hour of just you time. I know you probably don't have money for a babysitter, but figure out how you can do this. Mm -hmm. And um, for my husband and I, we actually tend to do this in the morning. So we wake up before the kids wake up and we pour over the finances and we'll do it once a month. Often Michael's on the exercise bike behind me because he doesn't like to sit still. Which is fine. He's captivated. He can't go anywhere. He has to sit there. <laughs> he's stuck, <laughs> stuck on, the bike. on the bike, and he's you know 100% attention. But I can't recommend that enough because that's where you have that forum, that time, that space to discuss these things and make sure that you're on the same page. And if you love your children, you'll do this because this is one of the number one things that's going to keep you together, married in a happy marriage and a healthy and financially sound marriage.
1: I love it. Thank you so much, Stacey. Before we let you go, we have to do a silly thing. We have to have you try on our smart money mama's sorting hat. So I don't know if you're familiar with Harry Potter, but the sorting hat is our version of the hot seat where the magical hat asks a question to reveal something about you. Are you Ooh, ready?
0: I am ready. The magical hat.
1: What is your favorite self-care activity?
0: You know what? I've been doing this. It sounds crazy. I've been playing solitaire with the real cards, you know, the old school playing solitaire. And I grew up as a little girl and my grandpa and grandma Lee taught me solitaire when I was probably eight years old. And I was just <laughs> fascinated. It's a crazy thing, but I do it and I have my cup of coffee and you get lost in the cards. And I, what's really nice is that my daughter now does it with me. So she sits by me and she tells me which cards need to go where. And so it's really fun really fun. That's awesome. That's so fun. Solitaire. Even better if it's not on your iPhone, if it's the actual old school cards. (laughs) A little disconnected for you there.
1: All right, Stacey, where can people find you, follow up and more of your content?
0: definitely want to give you two resources, uh, Stacy at FrancisFinancial.com. You can visit our website, FrancisFinancial.com. In particular, there's a great resources there. One is called Women, Divorce and Money, The Unspoken Truth to help women understand who are going through or after divorce, um, how to make sure you're doing the best thing with your money. And a free resource is Savvy Ladies. It's a 501c3 that I started 20 years ago. We've worked with tens of thousands of women. We have a free helpline where you get to work one-on-one with a certified financial planner for any financial question you have. And on the website are hundreds and hundreds of TED Talk-like videos and articles about every financial topic you can imagine.
1: I was pretty lucky to get to do one of those
0: videos for you last month, which is really great. (laughs) It was a really good one, too. Thank you. So for all of you guys listening, go on and put in Chelsea's name and you'll see her awesome Wednesday Wisdom series that she did for us. Awesome. Well,
1: Stacey, thank you so much for joining us.
0: I hope we get to talk to
1: you again soon. Thank you. Big hugs. Oh, my goodness, Mama. It's so funny to me how often the answer to complicated money and emotional situations is just that we have to talk, that we have to be brave and be open with the people we love. Bottling up our concerns or fears never manages to make them better. Am I right? I loved chatting with Stacy today and thought her insight into managing money when you're in a blended family was so valuable. I hope your mind is churning with conversations to have with your partner or future partner. If you're in a blended family but not practicing some of Stacy's advice, not treating kids the same, not having open conversations or blending traditions, I encourage you to make time for a money date with your spouse. No pressure, no arguments, just an opportunity to discuss one or two of the things that came up for you while you were listening to this episode. I think Stacey would agree that just starting the conversation will be a valuable investment in your relationship. As always, I've rounded up my top three takeaways to summarize what I believe are the core points you need to remember from Stacy. First, know what makes you feel secure financially. Y'all know I love Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And as Stacy says... Feeling secure is a necessity, especially if you're coming from a prior relationship where trust was broken or you're solid in your system of managing money and big decisions as an individual instead of as a couple. Identify what you need to feel secure. That could mean a certain size emergency fund, combining or not combining finances with your partner, or having some money that's purely your own. You decide what you need so that you can communicate that to your partner and feel confident for many blended families, that includes creating a pre- or post-nuptial agreement and setting up a complete estate plan. These agreements might not feel romantic, but they're really love letters to your family. With pre- or post you're committing to how you'll treat each other, even if the relationship doesn't go the way you hope. With an estate plan, it's making sure your spouse and your kids are taken care of and protected no matter what happens. When people feel unsafe, they make bad decisions. They're more likely to pick fights, hide things, or build resentment. Knowing what makes you feel secure will put you in a good position to build a positive money relationship as a family. Second, make sure you're taking care of your financial future. Stacy mentioned today that many adults in blended families feel some kind of guilt, and often that comes through as overspending on our kids. However, you have to remember to prioritize your own financial future. Saving for retirement can be harder for blended families, especially if you've gone through a prior divorce or are starting to save and plan later in life. Set a target for how much you have to save and talk to your partner about the type of retirement you both want, then create a plan for getting there. This will not only put you in a better position in the future, but it will also inform decisions about how much you and your spouse can help your kids with college expenses, whether you can afford private school, and more. Whatever you choose to spend on your kids, you'll be able to spend confidently knowing you aren't creating more financial stress and anxiety for yourself in the future. And finally, third, remember that open communication about money is especially important for blended families. With a blended family, you're taking two families and creating one. Old relationships, money stories and beliefs, and more moving pieces can make it harder to open up. But if you want your family to thrive, you have to actually be honest with your partner and truly blend your families. Talk about what assets and income you and your partner have. What responsibilities do you each have? How will child support payments change over time? What are your goals? Where will you live? And how will you budget together? But you also have to talk about the softer things. What traditions are you both used to? How do you handle birthdays and holidays? What support do you want to provide for your kids as they reach adulthood? Start talking and keep talking. There will be challenges that come up, exes that make things more difficult or different views on whether teenagers should have a job. But if you trust each other and commit to working together, you can find the right path for your family. You've got this. Mamas, I want to thank Stacy again for joining me on the show and sharing all her amazing experience and knowledge. I sincerely hope you enjoyed this episode and I so appreciate you spending some time with me today. And as a reminder, if you're looking for a summary of our key takeaways, links to Stacy's website, or want to download your free copy of the Family Money Values Worksheet, head to the show notes at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Stacy. Keep talking money mamas. I'll see you next time.